Hi, this is John from Prodigal Church. We want to thank you for listening to this week's teaching. The best way to watch and listen is through our Prodigal mobile app, available at your app store. We hope you are moved to love God and others in a greater way. Now, let's dive right into this week's teaching. Let's start our Sermon on the Mount series by reading Matthew chapter 5, 1 through 12 right now. Now, when Jesus saw the crowds, he went up on a mountainside and sat down. His disciples came to him, and he began to teach them. He said, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they will be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they will inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they will be filled. Notice, it is not blessed are those who are righteous. It is blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness. I love that the hungering and the thirsting is placed above the eating and the filling. The longing is more important. God is the filler. We are the hungerer. Verse 7, blessed are the merciful, for they will be shown mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they will see God. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they will be called children of God. And blessed are those who are persecuted because of righteousness, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. This is good news, not good to-dos. The blessings that Jesus is announcing, uh, he's not saying try hard to live like this. Uh, They're saying that the people who are like this are already in good shape. They should be happy and celebrate. It's an announcement. He's not suggesting that these are simply timeless truths about the way the world is or about human behavior. He was, if he was saying that, he would be wrong, right? Because the mourners often go uncomforted. The meek don't inherit the earth. Those who long for justice frequently take that longing to the grave. But in Jesus, God is reversing these trends. That's what he's announcing with the Beatitudes in Matthew chapter 5. This is an announcement, not a philosophical analysis of the world. It's about something that is beginning to happen in Christ. It's good news, not good advice. And we could spend a full year teaching the Sermon on the Mount verse by verse. But we're not going to be doing that for the series. We've only got three weeks, and so it's a bit of a drive-by, right? We're only able to look at a few verses in each chapter. But in our Prodigal app, there's a reading plan for you to think through and read along the Sermon on the Mount. And it'll take you through the sermon two times over three weeks. Each reading is less than five minutes, and it is an incredible way to learn and study the teachings of Jesus together. And so we want to encourage you to download our app. Um, at the App Store, and you can uh, check out the Bible reading plan um, as we journey through the Sermon on the Mount together. Our focus for today is one of the most controversial things that Jesus has ever said. Matthew 5, and we'll skip down to verse 38. You have heard that it was said, an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth. But I tell you, do not resist an evil person. If anyone slaps you on the right cheek... Turn to them the other cheek as well. And if anyone wants to sue you and take your shirt, hand over your coat as well. If anyone forces you to go one mile, go with them two miles. Give to the one who asks you and do not turn away from the one who wants to borrow from you. 
You have heard that it was said, love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I tell you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you, that you may be children of your Father in heaven. Now, a common misconception about this particular teaching of Jesus is that if you apply these principles, then you're just letting people run over you. Uh, Nothing could be further from the truth. That's not what Jesus is saying. Jesus doesn't say, just let them. Uh, He's actually giving us a specific strategy as a response. He's teaching us to go one better than let them. He's saying, bless them. Where they're ready to fight, you're ready to love. This particular teaching, this love your enemy, it's outlandish, it's scandalous, it's beautiful, it's a world changer, and I'm convinced it's the most scandalous and offensive teaching that Jesus ever gave. It's also the most transformative, not only because it can change the world, but because it can change us in our everyday lives as well. A while back before this global pandemic, my wife and I went to a local restaurant to celebrate some, one of our friends turning 30. And it was out on the patio, and it was a great party. And this was a, a fall evening, and it actually was quite cold. And uh, uh, I was in a short sleeve shirt, just toughing it out. And I don't know if you've been in that situation where there's nothing you can really do about it. You just got to kind of brave the cold. And so I do. The first 30 minutes, I brave the cold and I'm fine. But then I decide I need something to help me out here. So I I asked the waiter to come by and I said, could you bring me a cup of decaf coffee? And I don't really drink decaf, but it was in the evening. I I didn't want to be up all night. And so it was decaf coffee. It was just there to warm my hands and my soul. And so uh, the, the guy says, no problem. And he writes up the check and he leaves. And 25 minutes later, he brings it. 25 minutes. So then he hands me the coffee, and I grab it, and I'm shivering. And as I grab it, it spills all over my hands. And so now I'm even more mad. And so I go indoors to wash my hands and wash the coffee smell off. And uh, someone was in the men's bathroom. It was a one-person bathroom. So I checked the door. It was locked, and I'm like, oh, man. But then I look, and I notice that there's a women's bathroom right there. And I kind of peek and I go, should I, should I try? And then I thought, you know what? They had bad service. They made me wait 25 minutes for my coffee. And so, yeah, I'm going to check it. So I check the handle and it, it's unlocked. So I look around. I check my periphery to see if anybody's looking. And then I enter into the women's restroom. Now, What I discovered there is hard to put into words, okay? Guys, I need to let you in on something. Women's restrooms are way nicer than ours, okay? I felt like I opened up a door to a whole new world. It was like I opened the doors of the wardrobe to Narnia. Uh, there There was the decor, the soaps, the scent, the paintings. There was a couch. It was a one-person restroom, yet there was a couch. Who's taking naps in the bathroom? So I wash my hands, and I lather that beautiful smelling soap on there. And then I throw the paper towel into the trash bin, and I missed. I wasn't a basketball player. I missed. So I reach down to go pick up the paper towel, and I, and I think to myself, you know what? They took 25 minutes. They can pick it up. I'm ashamed. That, is, that was my mindset. And so I walk out of the bathroom, none the wiser. Now, 
I'm ashamed of my actions, okay? But even in a small, ridiculous thing like that, it's difficult to follow the teachings of Jesus. In no way did I turn the other cheek, pun intended. <laughs> in no way did I go the second mile. Going the second mile is me picking up the paper towel, perhaps putting it on top of the trash can, then stepping my foot to kind of compound the trash, right? And then giving the, t the waiter, the undeserving waiter, uh, a good tip on the way out. That's the second mile, not harboring resentment. This teaching of Jesus is difficult in the small things of life, and this teaching of Jesus is difficult in the big things of life. Just even in this political climate of the United States, uh, it is difficult to go the second mile. It is difficult to turn the other cheek. It's difficult to love your enemy or who you think is your enemy. Jesus begins with this, you have heard that it was said, an eye for an eye, a tooth for a tooth. And here he's quoting the Old Testament. Um, it's saying fair is fair. If someone takes my eye, I get to take your eye. Um, and it might sound barbaric, but we have to remember that this was a massive step forward in the violent world of the Old Testament. Um, if I stole your yogurt, uh, you could kill me. Almost every offense was a capital offense. And so this was a way, this, this Old Testament law of an eye for an eye, a tooth for a tooth, was a way to mitigate violence. To say fair is fair. But let's just look at ourselves right now. We think this is barbaric. But if someone punches you in the gut, what's your natural response? Punch him in the face, right? Our natural bend is not to get even, our natural bend is to get ahead, to take it to the next level in an ever escalating war of violence. You punch me in the gut, I'll punch you in the face. This eye for eye becomes the building blocks of what we now have in our criminal justice system, right? The punishment has to fit the crime. But Jesus takes it a step further. So after quoting the law, an eye for an eye, tooth for tooth, he gives three scenarios, three practical first century Palestine scenarios. He said, scenario one is this. If anyone slaps you on the right cheek, turn to them the other cheek as well. Now, the, to slap someone on the right cheek was to use a backhand. Okay? Uh, you don't use your left hand in the ancient world, especially in Israel, because they didn't have toilet paper back then. And so the left hand was used for that. Okay? And so the backhand was a slap from a master to an inferior person, to a slave, a superior to an inferior. And if you are struck on the right cheek, it is someone trying to shame you. I am greater than you. I am more powerful than you. Submit to me. Back of the right hand, onto the right cheek. To give your other cheek is not to just roll over and let them keep beating you up. No, to give your other cheek is to stand up to them and demand them to see you not as an inferior person, but as an equal. And the only time you would use your left hand to strike was in hand-to-hand -hand combat. So when you turn the other cheek, you're affirming your value and you're exposing their arrogance. You're saying, I am not inferior to you. I'm your equal. In what ways can you turn the other cheek? Not to stoop down to their level, but to transcend levels altogether. There's always a third way in Jesus. Scenario two. He says, if anyone wants to sue you and take your shirt, 
hand over your coat as well. In the ancient world, there were, there were three uh, types of clothing. Um, there was uh, the, the loincloth, which was your undergarment, um, the shirt, and the coat. And the coat doubled as a blanket when it was cold at night. It was actually illegal to take someone's coat for more than a few hours because it was literally their lifeline. It was their shelter at night. And so Jesus is saying, someone sues you and wants everything that they, uh, they want. They want to have the shirt off your back. So you give them not only your shirt, but you also give them your coat. And now you're walk out of the courthouse naked. People will see you, but people will see who the other person really is, right? You might expose yourself, but you also expose their greed and their selfishness. Scenario three. This is where we'll spend most of our time. If anyone forces you to go one mile, go with them two miles. Jesus taught this against the backdrop of Roman oppression. And to get a sense of the context, imagine what it would be like if the Nazis had won World War II and they were now the occupying force in our country. Or imagine if a radicalized Islamic movement were now in power, exerting their dominance through regular graphic public executions, high taxation, and ongoing insult. That is what it was like for Jews at the time of Jesus. Israel was a conquered and oppressed nation. And the Jewish people lived every day with a foreign military presence around them. And they reminded them that they were a powerless state and Rome had all the power. So when Jesus said, love your enemies, his audience didn't wonder, who is he talking about? Who is my enemy? Jesus' Sermon on the Mount wasn't theoretical religious philosophy. It was a real world love ethic in a real world hate context. There was no wondering who their enemy was. Roman soldiers were allowed to compel any conquered citizen to carry their military gear one mile. To prevent complete abuse of their power, Roman military law demanded that at the end of that mile, the soldier needed to release that citizen and then choose another citizen to go the next mile. And the Roman mile was a a thousand paces or uh, 1,500 yards. A little shorter than an English mile. Now, imagine you're leaving your home one afternoon to run an errand, perhaps to go to the local market and seeing a Roman soldier nearby, you'd probably walk by on the opposite side of the road and try really hard not to make eye contact with them. You'd hope he didn't call you or you'd be forced to carry his heavy gear a full mile out of your way. And imagine just being a passerby on the street witnessing this. There stood a Roman soldier barking orders to a young Jewish man Hey, Jew, carry my pack one mile. You watch and listen as the Jewish person pleaded with the soldier. But sir, I'm on my way to work. My business must be open before the morning rush. I don't have time to carry your pack. You're going in the opposite direction. And the soldier drew his sword and he repeated his orders. Jew, carry my pack. So finally, the Jewish person would huff and puff, frowned as he obeyed the orders. Now, it's easy to lose the magnitude of going the extra mile. Now, imagine you yourself have been pressed into submission and forced to carry a soldier's gear. The shield alone was 22 pounds. Okay, this is not a small task. It's not an easy task. If you're a Christ follower, Jesus says go the extra mile. So while you walk alongside your 
enemy under the burden of his weapons of war, you take time to remind yourself and meditate on the reality of who this soldier really is. He is a man made in the image of God, infinitely precious to our creator. This Roman's race, religion, and the role he plays as your oppressor fade into obscurity compared to the love that you know that God has for him. Here is a man who has been victimized since childhood by the lies of an oppressive, evil state. A system that taught him wrong was right, that hate was justified, and that violence was godly. Yes, you are at war, but not with him. You are at war with the bad ideas that have put you both into this situation. And so at the end of the mile, when the Roman centurion releases you from your obligation and begins to look for another person to press into service, you change the power dynamic through love. You don't drop his gear, but you instead insist on carrying it another mile. And at first, the soldier's confused, right? This experience, it's beyond his paradigm of understanding. But he's not wanting to get into an argument with a person who's trying to be more helpful than he even has categories for. So the Roman accepts your offer and off you go again. Now everything has changed for you and for him. See, for you, while the first mile was oppression, the second mile was freedom. While the first mile was compulsion, the second mile was volition. While the first mile was an expression of systematic hate, the second mile was a revelation of sacrificial love. While the first mile is the way of the kingdom of Rome, the second mile is the way of the kingdom of Christ. For the soldier, the first mile was another mindless business as usual activity, but the second mile becomes a shock to his political, religious, and cultural systems. Going the second mile turned his whole world upside down. There's always a third way. It forces everything into a humanizing relationship. See, for him, the choice you made was a moment now of potential illumination. His eyes might be opened in a new way. The second mile you walked has provided him a longer time of contemplation about the role he is now playing and the choices that he is making in his own life. Now you have given him the opportunity to see life differently, to wake up from the slumber of his role-playing power. You have given him the chance to see you as more than a slave, a chance to see you as a fellow human being. You have helped him to see himself as more than an oppressor, to see himself as one in need of a new paradigm for perceiving this world. So these teachings of Jesus, this go the extra mile, this turn the other cheek, this love your enemy, it's not so that you can get rolled over. No. No. It's so that our hearts can get turned over. It's so that we can encounter God's spirit, even in the midst of great oppression. Now on the surface, enemy love may or may not work in any particular situation. After all, Jesus loved his enemies and it got him killed. But followers of Jesus don't live on the surface. We look beneath skin tone and clothing and attitudes and accents 
and political parties. We go beyond that. We look past the hatred of others to see the love of God for everyone. And we look past immediate outcomes in specific situations to the greater goal of the advancement of the kingdom of Christ. So as Christians, as Christ followers, people who represent Jesus, we must not hate. We must love our enemies and pray for those who persecute us. This is the Sermon on the Mount. This is the radical, scandalous teaching of the Son of God 2,000 years ago that still penetrates hearts, lives, and this world today. Let's pray. God, what a beautiful name we have in Jesus. We lift up that name. We lift that name up with our songs, but with our lives as well. We pray, God, in Jesus' name, that we would love those who hate us and that you would help us to find a third way in the midst of potentially compromising situations. Help us to transcend categories in the name of love, in the name of Jesus. We need you. We sing to you now in Jesus' name. Amen.